Alakai, did you make the copies? Okay. Byron, I think your son is off the rails. Okay. Okay. Um, well, we'll get started. I The people that had their hands raised, I think you can follow along in the meantime. Okay, so the first bit here is godliness is the result of a biblically disciplined spiritual life, at the heart of which is the disciplined use of time. That was what, um, I forget the author's name, but that he says in the book. So <clears throat> that means that your level of maturity or spiritual righteousness is a function of how much work you put into disciplining yourself. What do you, you guys think that's true? Objections to that? Thoughts on that? Say it again, Jacob. Yeah. Um, so in his book, he says, godliness is the result of a biblically disciplined spiritual life, at the heart of which is the disciplined use of time. That's, that's his, those are his words, meaning how you use your time um, results then in your spiritual maturity. <clears throat> I put here on the sheet, this means your level of maturity is a function of how much work you put into disciplining yourself. That's pretty intuitive, right? How good you become at something as a result of how much work you put into it. That makes sense, Dr. Steve? Oh, yeah. So just as a reminder, um, they have a podcast for the younger generation, and they record this part of the sermon so or service. So if you would wait for a microphone. <clears throat> I got the message. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I tried to turn it around and say that if I am very disciplined and I work very hard, I can create myself in God's image. I can become godly. And you think that, you can that, do that on your own? That doesn't sound right to me. Right. So let's make a certain assumption here, and that is that you have the Spirit of God in you. Okay? That we got some preliminary things that are necessary. What other concerns would you have with that statement? Once, once that's true, right, let's say you're a new creation in Christ, you're born again, you have the Spirit of God in you. Do you still have objections? Then I question whether it's the Spirit of God working in me or if it's my endeavors. You, why would you... So your statement implies at least that there's a distinction between the two, that you couldn't be working in conjunction with God and that he empowers your work. So that's the, it, it's uh, Mr. Sweet. Just going to say, <clears throat> uh, partly uh, to Steve's concern, that without being disciplined, without spending time being disciplined, you're not going to be mature. It may not, it may not be that being disciplined is going to automatically and ensure that you're going to be mature, but without it, you're not going to be. 
it's made right no i uh, yeah no i agree with what you're saying i'm trying to join the two together see where the where the confusion is and i think what it is is that it's true you could do the work and yet it not result in godliness because you're doing it in your own power you're doing it without trusting in the lord things like that right but if we if we um make those assumptions up front that right we're not dealing with those cases where you either don't have the spirit in you or you're in some way uh i hesitate to say sinning but you're not properly relying on the lord right if we take those cases aside then would you agree that the amount that we grow in godliness then um, is a function of how much work we put into it or are you still resistant to that idea <clears throat> excuse me well i interpreted this statement like the discipline of you discipline yourself to be in god's word and then in your life as you come upon situations if that word abides in you that's how you learn to deal with things. And to me, your spiritual life does grow. So I think it, I take that discipline as I'm in God's word. I know his word and I'm going to follow his word. And when I come to a crossroads, his word is what's going to guide me. So that's how I interpreted what you said. So I think you do kind of grow. Well, you obviously grow. Yeah. Yeah. So it, <laughs> It's kind of a hard illustration to think about because almost everything that we work towards, um, we're doing. You know, if if I think of picking this up, I don't think of being empowered by someone to do that. I think I'm doing it. So when I think of working, um, <clears throat> excuse me, when I think of working, uh, what I'm what I want to limit it to and be clear because you're right, there are legitimate objections to the idea of um, it, it becoming some kind of works-based thing solely. We're dependent on the Lord for our growth. We're dependent on him for how much he gives us, despite however much we put into it. But given those parameters that we're dealing with a saved individual with the Spirit of God in them and that they're working uh, trusting that the Lord's going to bless their obedience, right, and that he doesn't owe them something— then within those confines, we really are dealing with how much you grow as a function of how much work you put into it. So it's it's not fundamentally different than, let's say, how often you play basketball, practice, is going to result in you being better at the game, right? Now, granted... I'm probably not going to be as good as Jordan or whoever, like a famous player is now, no matter how hard I work, right? There are certain levels of gifts and talents that we have, but given the gifts and talents that I have, I'm going to grow to the degree that I work and strive to excel, right? I mean, that's, Steve's still looking at me like, He's got concerns, but that just seems kind of intuitively obvious. Like if if I want to get better at anything, I have to work at it. 
right? So fishing, let's say, if you never go fishing, you're not going to get, I don't know what you, skill you have in fishing, but <laughs> casting and, you know, that kind of stuff. But <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to hold the line when you're casting, otherwise it kind of flies behind you. But Okay, so I just, all joking aside, though, we are talking about this limited case of you have the Spirit of God and you're working, trusting that God's going to bless that work, not in some way that he owes you for the work you put into it. Okay, so if there's no further objections... I'm going to continue. If more things come up, then just raise your hand and, and we'll deal with it. Okay? All right. Um, so reasons, uh, and these are from the book, these first three reasons. Reasons to use time wisely. He has three categories. Um, <clears throat> the first reason is that our natural bent and that of nature is towards evil. The second reason is what people do on earth has eternal consequences. I'm sure Steve's going to have more objections on this one. But that's true, right? We will give an account for how we live. And that is essentially um, we will be rewarded and or not rewarded for what we do. <clears throat> and uh, C, time is valuable. In other words, it's finite. Uh, you can't get it back when you lose it. There's only so much. Uh, he has probably eight different sections of the chapter that deal with that. Okay, so the first one, our natural bent and that of nature is towards evil. If someone could uh, pick out that verse, Colossians 3, 1 to 2, and um, raise your hand when you have it, and someone will bring you a microphone. And then the, the uh, next one as well, Galatians 5, and then 1 Peter 5. So if one person would each take a verse there. <clears throat> I assume you all know how to read, so if you would just raise your hand when you get there and someone will <clears throat> bring you a microphone. Colossians 3, uh, 1 through 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So Chris, why do you think we need to be told that? The assumption is he, he tells us for a reason, right? Right. I mean, we live in a fallen world where everything around us is, um, I mean, points to us wanting our own pleasures and our own desires and uh, in on earth anyway. So we need to seek the things that are in heaven as opposed to our earthly things. Right, so here then what's the assumption on what our natural tendency and bent is going to be to set our mind on? Right, on earthly things or sinful things. Yeah. Okay, that's pretty obvious. So then the call then is if you are um, not thinking about what to set your mind on, if you're not considering it, 
is this the best use of my time? Then the default of what your mind's going to be set on is wrong. It's ungodly. It's worldly. That makes sense? Okay. Uh, Galatians 5, 16 to 17. Who's ready to read that? Uh, Mrs. Kidder, she's ready. Oh, you're doing Peter. Okay. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Yeah. So then... What do we want to do by nature? I mean, these are basic questions, but just to get us talking. What do we want to do by nature, according to our flesh? Well, things that uh, uh, that gratify our uh, our basal inter- uh, interests and. Yeah. Sorry. So the the, desi- the desires of the flesh are further down. We didn't read them all. But those are worldly things, um, starting in verse 19, idolatry, enmity, strife, sorcery, jealousy, those kinds of things. That's what we desire to do by nature, our flesh. Okay, So that's our default position. If we just go on what feels right to us or what we think we should do without really considering what the Bible has to say or what the Spirit in us has to say, that's going to be our default move. Okay? Um, Then what does the Spirit of God in us want to do by nature? Hmm? Sorry, um, this, the spirit of God in us wants us by nature to um, just to use our, to live by our fruits. Yeah. So in verse 17 there, what do you learn about what's in us by nature relative to now assuming you have the spirit of God in you, what your new desires are? <clears throat> do they coincide? Uh, well, I wasn't open to that in my Bible. I was open to the next oh. verse. So let me go there. Sorry. Um, <clears throat> so your question is, what does, based on what 16 and 17 say, what does the Spirit want us to do? Or the Spirit just wants us, it fights against the desires of the flesh. Yeah. And to what purpose? Um, just to keep us from doing the things we want to do. So yeah. to restrain us from the, our sin nature and to um, live yeah. biblically. Yeah, right. So we have a natural bent towards sin and wickedness. Um, the spirit of God is put in us, and that spirit in, is intentionally opposed to, or the desires of the spirit are opposed to the desires of the flesh, 
to keep us from doing the things we want to do. So the idea is that that spirit in us should control what we do, right? It's intentionally there to keep us from doing the things we want to do, those things that are of the flesh, okay? <clears throat> so when we think about using our time or how we should use our time, uh, could you remind me of your name? I know you do diesel mechanic work for FedEx, but I can't. Matt, okay. Would you be willing to take a stab at this one, Matt? Just, <clears throat> um, when we stop to consider then, is this what I'm doing now, making the best use of the time? What are some things we could learn about um, how we might answer that question given the internal conflict that'll be there. Does that make sense? Uh, I think so. Okay. Um, so like the things you're doing, <clears throat> like, I don't know, uh, if you're spending all your time like looking at Facebook or, you know, things that are not necessarily bad, but not productive. Um, I mean, that would be things of the flesh, I guess. Okay. Um, so rather than things that are, um, uh, not. Yeah, no, fair enough. And you'd have to, in each case, you'd have to figure out what that is. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, and that's, that's really what all I was trying to get out of that point is that our default thought or idea of what we should do with our time is, uh, we shouldn't assume that it's correct, right? We should assume the opposite. I feel like sitting on the couch and watching TV or I feel like just sitting here and not doing anything or whatever it is, right? That might be appropriate. I'm not saying that's wrong, but we shouldn't just think because we feel like doing it and that's the first thing that we think we should do, that that's a good idea. That's all I'm saying, that there's an internal battle going on intentionally between the desires that you have in your flesh and now new desires that the Spirit of God put in you moves you to, to do, okay? Um, not sure what that, what is the suffering? I think that goes down to the next one. So Mrs. Kidder, if you would please read uh, the First Peter passage. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Okay. Now, that's a pretty sort of graphic image. Um, but I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that if there might be <clears throat> some other meaning behind Satan's actually going to eat us, in the form of a lion. What do you think, how do you think Satan devours us in this passage? How do you think that might, if, let me, let me rephrase it. <clears throat> in the, in the context of sin, tempting us to sin, how do you think Satan would devour us? Mr. Sweet? I was going to give Mrs. Kidder a little more time, but <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. 
Well, all I was going to say was that I think all he has to do is to help us or to encourage us to do what we want to do in the first place. Yeah, right. He lures and entices us by the desires in our heart. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so it's, it's really not a matter then of us just sort of being there and him passively eating us or something, right? So what is it we should be watchful for? What should we be watching for? Some lion about ready to attack us? What, what should we be watching for, Mr. Johansson? What was your question? <laughs> Um, what, what should, if the danger is that Satan's going to lure and entice us to sin, right, and that's how he's going to devour us, what is it we should be watching out for? We don't want to put ourselves in a position where we can be lured. Um, if we're, if we're where we're supposed to be doing what we're supposed to be doing, there's less chance of him luring us away from doing that. Okay, so avoid being in a situation where you might be lured and enticed. Yeah, okay. Uh, any other ideas? <clears throat> Mrs. Kidder? Uh, they request that you wait for the microphone. We just need to be left to our own devices. There's no need for any new attraction or, or temptation to come by. Just leaving us to our own devices. Yeah. Because to be doing what God wants us to do, we have to be proactive. We have to redeem the time. Mm -hmm. We have to actually do something. Yeah. Uh, absolutely right. I mean, that's, ex that's exactly the point. <laughs> our default position is to do what's wrong and sinful. If we don't actively fight against that, we're going to be drawn into sinful behavior. It's, it's that simple. It's not as if we just sort of by default do what's good and right and we just have to check ourselves once in a while. It's that <clears throat> without diligent thought and work, we're going to be sinning as a default. <clears throat> okay, so um, then in verse 9, this is a, what's the call then? And I guess... Mrs. Kidder already answered that, but <clears throat> any other thoughts on that? How to, how to resist, I'll just answer the question, how to resist Satan and be firm in your faith? How do you do that? That's the call in verse 9. What are some ways you can do that? We heard avoid situations where you might be drawn into sin, um, and Mrs. Kidder not actively fighting against our desires. Any other ideas? <clears throat> Could you tell me your name before? Ben Snodderly. Ben. And nice I'm new here, you. so I hope I'm not jumping in where I shouldn't be. No, no. <laughs> I have a scripture comes to mind it says, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good, draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Yeah. So one way we resist, really the main way we resist is as the Lord Jesus did 
when the devil took him up on the mountain, and he said, thus it is written. So by the word of God, we resist. Yeah. Obeying the word of God, drawing nigh to God. So now, that, you make a really good point. How does that, how do you functionally, in a real situation, what does it mean to draw near to God or draw near to his word? What, what would that look like? <clears throat> I believe through daily obedience to the word. And the only way we can obey the word is by reading the word, meditating on the word, and studying the word. Okay. So to draw an eye to God is to draw an eye to him through his written word, and then to know <clears throat> what it says and to obey what it says. Okay, so be reading the word, studying the word, and putting it into practice, doing it. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Okay. All right. <clears throat> That's excellent. So avoiding situations where we might be drawn in, not being lazy and slack in our uh, spiritual life, and then reading God's word and following through with the convictions that we have as we read it. Yep. <clears throat> Any other? Mr. Sweet again. I think there's one more component there. I think it, it we need to be regularly conversing with God. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's hard to converse with God when you're actively involved in sin. <clears throat> we we generally know when we've sinned, and uh, we I know there are times when the the first thing I think about is, how am I going to talk to God? I just did this, you know. I just I just I just committed this sin. I've got to deal with this. I can't come to him just as if nothing has happened. I can't speak to him now. Uh, please pray for Dave Christofferson when I know that I've got this this thing that's that's uh, preventing our our uh, relationship, our our um, uh, fellowship, and and so that is. I mean, that's not the only reason to pray, obviously. But I'm I'm just saying it's one. One of the uh, side benefits of praying is that you're going to take your sin more seriously. <clears throat> yes, and obviously drawing near to God, you recognize, like you were just saying, when you have sin in your heart, when you have unrepented sin, you see that all too clearly when you go to pray or or even read the Bible, right? I mean, you just recognize, I'm a sinner. I need to repent to that. I mean, you'll still be a sinner, but you know what I mean. We, there shouldn't be some active, unrepentant sin as we go before the Lord. <clears throat> um, well, and that's the, in James 4, 8, um, <clears throat> draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. The first part of that is cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So be singularly focused on what God calls us to do and not be actively sinning and, and being okay with that. <clears throat> okay, the next one I wanted to look at, uh, any other thoughts or ideas on that before we go to the Proverbs <clears throat> passage? Okay, so Proverbs 24 verse 30 to 34 this i'm 
this again, I'm going to ask a lot of kind of basic, simple questions about it, but I found that that helps me kind of think through what it actually means if we're not afraid to ask some simple questions instead of just assuming we know what's going on. So I know <clears throat> some of you will probably feel like I'm insulting your intelligence by these questions, but <clears throat> no offense is meant. Um, Okay, Proverbs 24, verse 30 to 34. Does, would someone be willing to read that? This is Frederick. <laughs> Proverbs 24, 30 through 34. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, it was its, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man." Okay. So, what do you think happened to his field? <clears throat> it became overgrown. Yeah, well... He, he let it yeah. go. Okay, so he let it go. Um, again, these are dumb questions, but did someone destroy it? Partially him. Well, just by letting it but go, not, not actively, doing anything, right? No. Yeah. So no, no one came along and like bulldozed it or something, no. right? Okay. Um, <clears throat> why would it be? Why would it be broken down? Why would this stone wall, which is you know meant to last, why would it be broken down if no one came and destroyed it? Because you have to care for it. You have to actively do something to care for it. Why so do it you won't think that down. is? Because uh, over time, earth winds will destroy it if you don't do anything. Yeah, that's, that's the natural tendency and bent of the world. You don't work on it. You don't take care of it. It will slowly become worthless. It'll be destroyed, right? That uh, Proverbs 18, 9 says something similar. It says, whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. And the reason that's true is that if you're slack in your work, the thing's going to by default become destroyed, right? It's going to break down and become destroyed. Th thanks for, for uh, reading that and answering the question. Um, <clears throat> okay, so Without our regular diligent work, things break down and are destroyed by the corrupting force of evil. Do you think that's just true of stone walls and <clears throat> fields, or what, what else do you think that might apply to, Mr. Alakai? <clears throat> I think it applies to everything. Okay. And why do you think that is? Has that always been true? No. <clears throat> Why do you think that's true? Well, because after Adam and Eve sinned, all things, it was the, the world fell. Yeah, so it's part of the curse of 
of sin, right? The corrupting force of sin, um, which all things are subject to now. Okay, so um, this is obviously true of our spiritual life too. If you think of a stone wall, um, we might think, oh, that thing is solid, it's going to last forever, or whatever basic things you've done throughout your life to guard against your sin or to grow you in righteousness, whatever. The point is, it's not something you do at one point and then just leave. It's something that you have to actively be working on, otherwise it falls apart. It's just the natural tendency of things. Um, so I put here, it's like swimming upstream, which probably none of you have ever experienced here in Iowa anyway. Um, if you're like a salmon fish, just to relate to my fishing brothers, um, and you're swimming upstream, if that salmon stops swimming, what do you think happens, Dr. Steve? Bear bites him, right? It's probably why he stopped swimming, because he's in the bear's mouth. No, he starts <clears throat> drifting back downstream. Right. I mean, these are obvious. It's just they're fun illustrations to help remind us. Um, Mr. Stringer. I have done some open water swim. Nice. Swimming open water, no current, per piece of cake. Yeah. Swimming with the stream, down, going downstream is even easier. Yeah. Swimming cross stream is difficult. Swimming upstream... Good luck keeping up with the stream. Right. That's difficult. And Rex Ferris told me years ago when we were hunting, what's the deal? It's just like Christian life. You just keep going one foot in front of the other. It's a constant work, constant discipline. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely right. And that's kind of the, the idea here is we, I think, have a tendency to think that if we take it easy for a while, we can kind of just coast and it'll be okay for a while. But the reality is when we stop working and stop fighting against the current, we don't just coast. We're actively pushed backwards um, by our own desires um, as Satan works to use those to, to tempt us. Um, so that's the idea is that we'd recognize we can't just coast. We can't just you know, um, have built something at some time and, and leave it and think it's going to be okay. But we have to actually diligently, faithfully work to battle against our own fleshly desires, which are always there and always fighting against the desires of the spirit. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of like my grandparents on the farm and my parents' home said there's always something to be mended or fixed or to upkeep or, and even when you go and fix those things, more things are revealed that need to be done. And I think that's kind of like our spiritual walk as well. <clears throat> Continuously, you know, new sin is revealed or you, you're learning more and growing closer to God. It, it's a constant um, process and it just continues um, and takes work, a lot of work. Yeah. So do you have any examples like on the homestead farm whatever but what about in your spiritual life what are some some things i think just like as you learn more even you can read the same passage multiple multiple times and then you're like oh that's how that's supposed to apply to me or like 
oh, I wasn't speaking rightly with this person or just other things that are revealed. Um, the more you grow and the more that you read, I think the deeper some of those meanings become too, or then you start making connections. Oh, that's what he meant in this passage. And that relates back to what was happening in the Old Testament. You just start to see more of those connections and the bigger picture is brought together as well. So keep just faithfully reading God's word and think about it, meditate it, meditate on it. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Okay. Yeah. Sure. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. Any other examples? Yeah. There's a passage in the word. I don't know the context, the verse, but it's um, <clears throat> don't grow weary in well-doing for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. And I think disciplining yourself for the purpose of godliness, whether it's being in the word or all the other calls to obedience to Christ, that is being faithful and not growing weary because sometimes you do feel weary and tired with some of it. And we're to keep on pressing on. Uh, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> um, yeah, so remain diligent and faithful. Don't get tired of doing the good work. Well, and that's, it's so easy to do, whether you're on the farm or at your house or whatever. It, it always requires the effort to get up and do something. Um, I, that's uh, 2 Thessalonians 3.13. Uh, do not grow weary in doing good. Okay, so um, <clears throat> let's see here. Any other examples, illustrations of that you wanted to share? Um. So one example of it is, let's say I'm uh, just a around the house kind of example. Uh, there's a table leg that's wobbling, and I know that I have to get out my toolbox and just get a little Allen key and tighten up that bracket uh, or the you know this bolt that holds the bracket to the table to tighten it up. And every time I put something on the table, I'm reminded, oh, yeah, I got to fix that thing because I put it down and it wobbles. And uh, so the diligent thing is let me stop what I'm doing and take care of it, right? What is the, and then what I do for maybe a week or two weeks is, well, I'm, I'm going to do that as soon as I finish this. And so I don't take care of it and I just leave it. And of course, the table leg just gets worse and worse. That would be one example um, of an actual physical thing. Now, if you take that and apply it, say, to your spiritual life, not they're totally different. I mean, they're related, similar. Um, let's say that uh, I hear the kids doing something that I know I should be <clears throat> addressing. They're speaking to each other in an unkind way. and. I need to make sure that I talk to him about that. I don't neglect that. And often, uh, the, well, the temptation always is to think just like the table, ah, 
I'll deal with that in a sec. I'm kind of busy right now writing this thing down or reading this thing or taking care of this, and I don't address it. So that is the same principle, but applied now to your spiritual life. There's something that you know you should do. There's something I know I should do, and yet I don't stop what I'm doing and just address it. Make sense? Anyone else do that sometimes? <clears throat> yeah. So that's, yes, Mr. Stringer. Mr. Stringer's not here. Um, <laughs> we're all disciplined. You got out of bed and came this morning. That's a discipline. Getting out of bed was a discipline. Getting to church was a discipline. It required work at some point in time. Your parents installed upon you with their work to get out of bed. Discipline to read the word is just another work that we have to train ourselves to do. Yeah. Yeah, if you want to grow. Right. Um, that's absolutely right. It's just, in some sense, it's like, duh, you do it because you have to and you should do it. Um, the, so then if we take that principle and we apply it, we apply it to making the best use of the time, what might we learn? Uh, just some general principles. Is that clear what I'm asking or no? Mr. Vederick? Chris Vederick? <laughs> uh, so, can you rephrase your question? Yeah, sure. So, we have this general principle, right? If, if I see a problem with the table and it needs to be fixed and it's brought to my attention, I should address it, mm -hmm. right? Um, if <clears throat> I notice an issue of some other area where I need to intervene to fix something, right, or instruct uh, someone, I need to do that. That's part of my spiritual... Um, growth is part of my obligation as a parent. So if we take that kind of principle idea and apply it to how we manage our time, what are some things that come up? What are some thoughts you have on that? Well, so like if we, I mean, if we leave your table example and leave it to where it keeps wobbling, I mean, it's only going to get worse and eventually the table is going to fall down. Uh, so if we do that with our spiritual life, essentially we'll succumb to whatever the world wants us to do that day. Or, I mean, it's not, uh, not everybody robs a bank or decides to rob a bank like that day. They had a series of events that led up to that, um, to where we need to focus on, uh, like directing where our thoughts are going and where we're spending our time essentially. Cause if we don't, uh, just little by little, we, but we slowly walk away from our faith to, um, to I mean, deny God. Yeah. Uh, so what do you think? Oh, yes, Mrs. Sweet. <clears throat> well, personally, um, I think of it as I need to do my spiritual um, thoughts when I think of them or when as soon as possible rather than putting them off. So when I sit down in the morning, um, I should 
I should do my scripture reading and praying before I look at Facebook or look at my emails. Or, right. Because it's easy to, well, I'll do that after I do whatever. And then something else comes up and something else comes up and those, those things just don't get done. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's exactly right. Some things we're made aware of, something we should do with our time that we know this is a good thing to do. We should stop and do it if, you know, if that's possible. <clears throat> Mostly it is possible. Right. And often, though, we sort of it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do my devotion as soon as I just I don't know why what's this email. And then you go there and it's like, oh, I do need some shoes. And pretty soon it's like, you know, <clears throat> you're off on a tangent. So um, when we're convicted of something, we should just stop what we're doing and deal with it. Is that fair representation of what you're saying? <clears throat> okay, so that's the kind of basic idea. And then Ms. Uh, Dave Stringer said earlier um, <clears throat> that one step at a time, how are you going to go up current? It's probably you're not going to fight the current straight on. You might kind of go at an angle. If you do any boating, probably... <clears throat> Never mind. Uh, you're not going, you know, you kind of have to go at angles and take it on a little bit at a time if you're going upstream. So that's the, <clears throat> there's this old African proverb that's how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time. And the idea is that you, if you're going to go a long distance, <clears throat> you're only going to get there by taking one step at a time. You can't step all the way to a mile. You have to take small steps. So there's two lessons there. One is in order to go far, you have to focus on the step right in front of you and focus on taking that one step. And the second lesson is if you do that just one step at a time, before you know it, you've gone far. So you don't have to really focus on going far. You have to focus on taking that one little step in front of you. So what might that be practically if you hear a sermon or you're reading in the Bible in your devotion or you're reading a book and you're convicted of, um, I don't know, say for me, <clears throat> a, f a few months ago, I was convicted. I didn't, I couldn't uh, find books kind of in the Old Testament. I sort of knew roughly where it was and sort of flip through, well, it's probably, you know, before the Psalms, after the Psalms. So I thought, you know, I need to memorize those. So I wrote up a flashcard and did it. Not a big deal. I'm not saying it's a big deal, but just a little thing where I thought, you know, I could be better if I did that, better at handling God's word, finding stuff, things like that. So what are, in a general sense, though, if I'm convicted of something, what would it mean uh, to <clears throat> make the best use of the time in terms of, let me just start over, it's getting a long rambling question. Um, <laughs> what, should, what should we, okay, we hear a sermon, and if you're like me, you have a lot of notes, we get an outline with a bunch of blanks on it, but what do you do with that, right? What do you, how does that how do you go from listening to the sermon to that actually affecting change in your life? 
Mr. Sparks, you have any thoughts? Application, <laughs> diligence, uh, taking advantage of the principles presented and applying them to your own life. Okay. Um, so let's say in a sermon, you probably hear 10 different things, at least, right, that you could do. <clears throat> How do you handle that? Can't do them all. I mean, you're retired, so maybe, but... I, I pull out my notes, and I see that I need to quit being a judge. Okay. And that falls back on my ego problem. I think it's about me. Okay. So the sermon was about me, but application's not about me. Not sure what you mean. I just threw you a curve. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we're almost out of time. I think maybe it comes back to like applying the spiritual disciplines to that then. So like it is as simple and as difficult as choosing one of those 10 things, whatever one in wisdom you think you need to address or that you can directly apply um, right away. And then in your Bible reading, studying that topic, trying to see where God talks about it, like praying for God to help you with that, like in fellowship with others, um, letting other people know that you struggle with that and that you want accountability or seeing what wisdom they might have. And so like taking that specific thing and applying the spiritual disciplines to that can help you to work on it right away. Yeah, so of all the things you hear, you take one thing that you could actually do and put it into practice, yeah. One thing put in practice is going to be more valuable than 10 that you're thinking about doing. All right. Uh, thank you, guys. Appreciate it. And we'll talk more next week. You can keep this paper. We'll just deal with the next half next time. <laughs>